0: Hello, Stargazers. Welcome to 7th House Astrology. I am your host, Sandra Misek. For those of you who are just listening to me, well, welcome. I'm glad that you found my podcast. What I usually do with 7th House Astrology is that I take either a house, a planet, or as in the case with last week, a topic of discussion that's usually related to romance or to relationships. Why the relationships, you ask? Well, it's mainly because I take a lot of these things uh, and view them with the lens of Sinistry Astrology, otherwise known as Relationship Astrology. Also, composite charts are within that category. And I mainly just kind of dive in, see what uh, sort of astrological explanations are offered to us within that week. And then I also try to endeavor either what makes relationships tick at the end of the episode. Or um, even better, just what have we learned? What have we learned from this, uh, you know, the synastry interaction when it comes to either the house, the planet, or even the topic? And what can we bring into relationships knowing what we know with planets or houses or just with what we have uncovered astrologically? For those of you who are still joining me uh, after all this time, well, I say a big hearty welcome still. It was just yesterday that I remembered compiling my first podcast, and I'm glad that you guys are still here, and I'm glad that my content is enlightening and inspirational as well as informative for you. So before we get into our topic for this evening, have you, Stargazers, ever wondered whenever I give a sinistry sort of reading when it comes to a celebrity's chart, when it comes to the composite chart in the episode, have you ever wondered if, uh, you know, like what your composite chart would look like with your hubby or just, you know, in general, if you would have a you know very good composite chart or if you you know if you have ever wondered you know just what you, the planets would look like and everything of that nature. Well if you have been wondering like if what the planets look like, what the chart would look like, so on and so forth, you're in luck. If you guys go on to my Patreon.com account, which is patreon.com forward slash seventh house astrology, and if you become a member I can include your synastry chart. It's basically what that looks like for between both you and your partner. And then also a booklet as well too. And here's the catch. All of this is for free. Now, stargazers, when it comes to these sort of services at a metaphysical shop or a, you know, going to a professional astrologer, many professional astrologers usually start at like hundred dollars when it comes to these services. I'm giving you all these services for free, man, because I love astrology and I'd love to be able to read someone's chart. Um, But definitely, I think above all, I think you basically when it comes down to the chart, I feel like you're more than paying for it when you become a member on Patreon. And even a bigger plus, when you become a member on Patreon, you help me to kind of keep the lights running here and to keep all operations running smoothly. So definitely check out my Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash seventh house astrology. And that forward slash is spelled S E V E N T H H O U S E A S T R O L O G Y. So with that, stargazers, so this week, um, again, I've I've come back to covering the house within um, my topics, but uh, this house is actually particularly special because this is the last house in the astrological and the zodiacal wheel that we're covering. After this, we're moving, we're moving onward and upward when it comes to the planetary alignments, the angles and what they mean in Sinistry Astrology. And just, you know, definitely, of course, definitely coming up with topics to explore Sinistry Astrologically for the week. But um, yes, it's definitely kind of interesting because it was just yesterday I was covering the 11th house and the beginnings of our journey, the beginnings of Relationships. So as we pause and reflect and marvel at the end, why don't we go ahead and jump in and see what the 12th house actually reveals and what it is all about. So originally when I actually um, had learned about the 12th house many years ago when I was learning astrology, the first thing that came to my mind or the first thing that kind of came into view when it came to all sorts of astrological materials was that it's the House of Secrets. Now, when I first uncovered this, this was a little bit nebulous for me. It's like, okay, House of Secrets a secret for what? And uh, how do we know that we're keeping secrets? And what sort of planets indicate that we're keeping secrets as opposed to if we're not? And, you know, how how does this configure? This is kind of, it's like, this is this is a little... This is a little confusing, this is a little nebulous, this is a little interesting, by the same token. Very much like the ruler of the 12th house, Pisces. So, before I get into the House of Secrets, what I just really wanted to do was um, actually, kind of like with the 8th house, uncover some of the nebulousness that surrounds around the 12th house, by kind of diving a little bit more into the sign that rules it, which is that of Pisces. When it comes to Pisces, I mean, when it kind of like with a little bit unlike Scorpio, sorry, I'm kind of crashing and burning here, stargazers. Unlike Scorpio, where Scorpio definitely can be very mysterious, very intense, uh, kind of obsessive sometimes, um, definitely very determined. Pisces can be really even more mysterious than Scorpio. I usually say, can I forget Scorpio? While Scorpio can be mysterious, I feel like they have nothing on Pisces because Pisces, where they are mysterious, they have like kind of a nebulousness to them or kind of like an elusive aspect to them where they, they can kind of disappear into a crowd if they'd like to. They can kind of disappear a sight if they need to. Um, you know, where they can kind of just be a little bit, when it comes to like their their speech, it can be kind of otherworldly. They can have an otherworldly vibe to them as well too. But what really kind of strikes me about Pisces more than anything is that there is not only the sense of you know utmost compassion when it comes to the sign but also the fact that they also have it's like they have one leg in this world and they have another leg in the higher realm or with the higher self or kind of in a higher Consciousness, so to speak, or in a higher vibe or in a higher realm, so to speak. And a lot of their compassion, very much like their ruling planet as well, Neptune, is that of just really kind of sharing and being compassionate enough to share like what they're gathering from the other world or what they're gathering from their higher consciousness, and really being that of either a teacher or a mentor to others. Or just, you know, simply just kind of being an informant to others. And this doesn't necessarily have to be on the physical, on the spiritual plane, rather. It can also be a situation where I've actually known a couple of Pisceans where they like to really, really explore and use that compassionate side to... Educate the public on science as well too, and how science kind of explains everything in this world as well too. Usually, though, I would not be surprised with what, when it comes down to prophets, particularly Jesus Christ and the Buddha, where they might have, or where they might have had a lot of planets in Pisces themselves in that regard that they've had. Again, that one foot in the other world, the other foot on this earth, you know, with Jesus, it was not only is he the son of God, but, you know, the fact that he could hear God's messages, he had his disciples, you know, he was imparting a lot of messages from God, from his own father to his disciples, and hence really heightening, well, being one of the individuals who had heightened the Christian or Abrahamic faiths. The Buddha, I also find to be a great example of this Piscean energy in the regard that when he not only suffered enough, but found the Bodhi tree and sat underneath the Bodhi tree to meditate, not only did he transcend to a higher spiritual realm, but um, once, you know, the devas kind of convinced him to, you know, the devas being kind of like guardian angels, kind of convinced him to descend back down. And come back down to the earthly plane, he actually was teaching enlightenment to his followers as well too. And again, enlightenment from what he had learned from being with the other world, or just that that higher consciousness that he had produced within inside himself. So if this kind of sounds a little trippy and it kind of sounds a little very woo woo, um, that is very much, you know, definitely Piscean energy and the Piscean archetypes that come forward. Now, the drawback or the shadow side of Pisces, kind of like there's a shadow side with all the signs in the, in the zodiac is that there are times with Pisces where they kind of get a little wrapped up in the higher consciousness or in the higher realms. That sometimes they forget to plant their feet back onto the earth, you know. As mentioned before with the Buddha, it w- it took a couple of devas to kind of tap them on the shoulder, and kind of like what my meditation teacher, uh, Mr. Burton, had once said. It's kind, of, you know, they they were kind of like, you know, dude, that's great that you found enlightenment, but you got to go back down to the the earth because that's where you belong. You don't belong up here just yet. You know, you, you just, you just graze the surface here. You gotta, you gotta go back down and you gotta teach this. So like Pisces, the Buddha was very content in just not only finding enlightenment, but also getting lost in enlightenment. A lot of Pisceans are known for um, escapism or, you know, kind of like getting lost in that higher consciousness that they found to be very ideal and dear that sometimes it just you know that otherworldliness that i was talking about earlier when it comes to their mysteriousness and their sometimes their appeal is that uh, when it comes down to what they are saying it just seems it just seems very unclear to a lot of people and also it just seems as though they're kind of you know just not really of this earth um, in a, a sense, you know, it's, it's almost like they have to, they almost have to find their land legs and they almost have to find their footing again. But with that sense of the ethereal and kind of having one leg in the other world, the other leg in the, the earthly sphere, this kind of explains the whole idea of secrets in the 12th house. You know, uh, with Pisceans, they can be a little secretive sometimes in the regard that they don't know how to express what they have found, or they just don't know how to really convey in words what they really want to convey to the world, even though they might have some very wonderful, profound insights. Um, that could lead to being bottled up or a little more secretive than usual. And with the house of secrets, when it comes to the 12th house, so many astrologers mentioned that that 12th house is actually very inner, you know, very much like Pisces. It's a very innermost part of ourselves. So it's not necessarily secrets that we're keeping from our friends. It's not necessarily secrets that we think of when it comes to, you know, two friends keeping secrets from each other on the playground um these are very deep profound secrets that are deep within inside our personalities for me the best example of this is that of the the idea Freud's idea of the id and Jung's idea of the subconscious and i feel like in that regard uh the 12th house i used to call it um back in the early days when i would learn when i learned charts and how to read them I used to call it the id house, and I just felt that that was very apropos. The id or our subconscious, our psyches, in in essence, in a nutshell, that is actually our most innermost, deepest, secret part of ourselves all the way down to our core. I mean, that is the place where, you know, I mean, talk about secrets. These are things about our personalities that we don't want to share with the world. And we don't want to share with society that, you know, we don't even care to share with our loved ones, no matter how close or how wonderfully, you know, trustworthy they are because they just, they seem so alien. They seem so strange to us. Sometimes they're a mystery and they're a secret even to us at times as well too. Now, for those of you who aren't really familiar with the id, just to kind of bullet point a little bit. Uh, so the modern father, of psychology. Freud had come up with the id in the regard um, to advance modern psychology, that it what it is today. In the regard of the id, he basically had you know kind of theorized that everybody has an id, and in that id we kind of sexually oppress matters or we just oppress a lot of our true natures. And Freud's whole big thing was to bring it out. And as I've mentioned earlier, it was sexually based a lot of the time. So a lot of his methods, a lot of what he theorized was very taboo in the time, which was during the Victorian era. Jung, on the other hand, took the idea of the id from Freud, but he kind of, oh, how could I say, gentrified it a little bit better. To where it just wasn't so shocking and so obsessed with sex, um, in, you know, in the society that he was living in at that time. And really with that, he kind of came up with the concepts of the subconscious, but in order to know the subconscious and in order to know oneself fully, he actually went through, um, going through mandala work with, uh, individual clients there are times where he went through dream interpretations with clients to kind of unlock the, the psyche and see what, what it uh, holds. And also he had even gone through going through astrology um, with a lot of his clients as well, too, um, just to, again to see what else that could reveal. So he was um, Jung was really willing to kind of uncover what Freud was not willing to do uh, when it came to modern psychology but the the whole idea of the id or the whole idea of the subconscious to me you know it really i I really think that this applies to that the twelfth house not only because of the secrets but also you know it just seems like if you have hard planets in that house and hard planets being Mars Saturn, Uranus or Pluto again it's just it it really seems to exacerbate not only other factors in synastry and other factors in the chart. But to me, it just seems like there's a lot more going on behind the, behind you. Um, it seems like there's a lot going on in your psyche, um, within that, within that 12th house. I especially found it kind of interesting when it came down to Christopher Nolan's chart. When I looked back at it or looked at it, um, back in the day, his, um, Uranus and Pluto placement, even though they were not conjunct, still very generational in the regard of where they're placed. But, you know, that happens to be in his 12th house as well. And for me, I just remember thinking about that. It's like, you know, knowing Pluto being the planet of destruction as well as the planet of transformation, that could explain the deep, disturbing content of his film, such as Inception interstellar, the Batman saga, the Batman trilogy. And it not only explains like how he kind of goes in depth into the characters a little bit more, but just the whole dark, the deep dark notion of everything. And to me, I just kind of feel like the, those might be his id moments um, that he's kind of capturing on paper especially with the films that he has written and directed. And also um, those might be those id moments that he's just kind of finding a catharsis with when he directs one of his films. Um, Uranus is also in that same house as well, too. And I wouldn't be surprised, you know, I'm not surprised in the regard that within his films, especially the films that he writes and directs, that there's also a very new bent and a very you know revolutionary bent to it as well. But again, I wouldn't be surprised, knowing the erratic nature of Uranus, if there's again some of those it you know some of those dark details and some of those dark themes are kind of starting to pop up, even with that, even with Uranus being in the twelfth house. And um, again. You know, writing, directing is definitely a catharsis for him when it comes to kind of getting rid of that id or kind of coming to peace and coming to terms with that id, even though obviously it's, it's probably very disturbing for him to see what's what's out on paper, or what's, what's in his films. But again, just something very interesting that I just found to be, in, you know, found to be when it, when it has come to astrology. With the 12th house as well, um, Stephen Forrest goes into psychic development. Now, when we come back to Pisces, the image of Pisces, where they're kind of up in the higher realms, we tend to think that the only way to kind of get up even to our highest self involves a little bit of psychic ability in there. Stephen Forrest had actually mentioned that you know, depending on the planet, uh, psychic development can really be very high. You know, if you have your moon in the 12th house, psychic development, not only is very high, but you might also have very positive psychic experiences, um, with that position in the 12th house, as opposed to, again, if you have the if you're like me or you're like Christopher Nolan, where you have some of the hard planets in your 12th house, for me, it's Mars, um, I know with my psychic experience that experiences, it's kind of, I feel like it's kind of a gamble sometimes, even though I've, you know, have talked with the, you know, even though I've um, kind of prayed to the higher power of what I do want, what I don't want when it comes to psychic gifts. Um, I know for me, when I've had psychic ability, it's still a toss. Um, I can have very nasty premonitions of some things to come. I can have a nasty vision or even just some nasty words that kind of come into my clairaudience as well, too, that are usually premonitory or usually they're kind of um, anticipating events that, you know, like nasty events that are going to come up to play. And sometimes that's not always a very positive psychic development experience, Unlike where at at times, like if I say, if I'm like praying or if I'm involved in spiritual activities and I'm kind of hearing the voice of the divine, that would be more positive as opposed to the premonitory lead ups that I tend to get. And with that Mars position in my 12th house, it's like a, it's kind of like a gamble. And of course, Stephen Forrest went into that. It's like if your Mars position's not really well controlled, it can lead to scary psychic experiences. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's also true for many of the the other hard planets as well, too. So, again, the planets that are in there can um, indicate psychic development and the level of comfort that individual would have. Rachel Stewart Haas had also um, had added the unconscious. Uh, being that uh, represented by the 12th house. But then she also mentioned something very interesting. So you know how Pisces kind of tends to put things off a little bit, you know, like they have a project that they need to do, but they kind of put it off. Well, the 12th house points out to us that we all have that tendency. And it's that house where when we put things off to such a certain point, due to a certain transit that can, you know, ignite that house, it's, it really can represent that house that brings all the things that we've been putting off and kind of coming back to bite us if we don't take care of it. So case in point, like say that you have a bill that needs to be paid, you've been putting it off, putting it off. Well, here comes a, you know, here comes Venus indicative of financial assets as well as romance. She transits through the 12th house and that kind of indicates, hey, wake up, you got to pay that bill. Hey, wake up, here are the funds, now go pay that bill. You know, go go take care of business. So um, it's it's kind of, like I said, it's just interesting. It's like the things that we put off, that's where it's not only indicated in our charts, but where it could, it could definitely uh, make a run in with us um, at a certain time, especially with a, a certain transit. And then, of course, she mentions the dreamy psychic energy, which we actually get also from Pisces as well, too. So I know what you guys are thinking, that this is all very nice and well, and it's kind of, it's getting into very deep territory, but what about sinistry? And actually, Stargazers, if you were to say it's getting into deep territory, you are very correct, I actually had to fight a bunch of head trips this last week uh, in diving into the twelfth house, um, especially with um, uncovering the id um, factor of that. But I still hold true to that—that that it might be representative of our psychology a little bit, or our psyches a little. But within Sinistry, um, a couple of things that I've come across when researching the twelfth house this week that yes, it can very much indicate affairs, as we had mentioned in the affairs episode, uh, mainly because a lot of planets that are chucked into the 12th house, so like in my case, the fact that I have Mars in the 12th house means that my Mars position is not really well developed. And that's true for a lot of planets that are in the 12th house. Um, You know, the 12th house being that of secrets, being that of you know it's the secret most part of you. it's not a great placement for a lot of planets in that regard. you know again, a lot of planets have to fight through the secretive tendencies and bringing a lot of stuff to light, which can be very hard. but especially in relationships, um, when those plant when a lot of personal planets, especially are chucked into that particular house into the twelfth house. Again, um, being uncertain of yourself, you know, uh, having that energy kind of make you feel a little bit uncertain, you know, especially since the planet is not really well developed. It can cause you to think that an affair will help you kind of uncover not only the secrets that are making you feel uneasy, but also uncover the aspects of your personality that might seem to be missing. And really the absolute answer to this in Sinistry is going back, taking a look at the archetype of that planet, see what is missing in your life and really trying to embody that. For me with Mars, I've had to embody being a little more assertive in my life and not just allowing people to walk all over me just to be agreeable. For me, I've also had to really come to grips with how would I actually survive because for a while I didn't know what my survivalist tendencies were. You know, I'd kind of be a little bit on the fence between, gee, I'm a pacifist or gee, I'd beat somebody up or gee, I'd go run and hide. You know, I've had to kind of firm up what exactly is my survivalist nature. And furthermore, um, sexually too, I've had to firm up what I do want, as opposed to what I don't want. And uh, it's been quite a journey. But in doing these things, it kind of helps for me to not have so many, you know, anger issues that come to the fore, just because um, Mars is very, the energy is very deep inside of me. Yes, I can feel that. But It's just, it doesn't have much of an outlet to come out. I also think along with that anger management or along with the extreme rage and anger that can come with that placement, finding a constructive outlet for that and actually five rhythms dance, of course, when I'm not, you know, I'm not recovering from surgery, five rhythms dance is really very awesome in that regard of just letting it all come Out and five rhythms dance, of course, it's uh developed, it was developed by Gabrielle Roth. And uh, mainly, when it came to to, uh, Gabrielle Roth and how she created it, it's just basically dancing as you feel. Um, They follow five rhythms, five forms of rhythm, um, and basically, it's just letting it all out. And definitely great for somebody who is, like I said, has rage or anger issues. But I just recommend um, definitely getting to know that planet that is suppressed or not really well developed in the chart and really embodying its archetypes in your life instead of going for affairs, because affairs do not really solve anything at all. Also, I tend to see it in synastry as um, the 12th house can indicate and any sort of planets in that um, sector can indicate secret impulses, desires, or dreams, Um, From my own point of view, I know whenever I've been in a very restrictive or in a very um, controlling relationship, particularly where the other partner is very controlling, you know, they just behave as though I'm the most beautiful person in the world. But because of that, I have to be locked away and monitored 24 seven. There have been times where when I'm in those sort of relationships, I get these secret desires The first one I remembered when I was about 19 was whether or not I was bisexual. The second um, sort of desire or the second sort of question or desire or dream was when I was in my mid-20s in another relationship, and I just had this really weird urge to just explore everything on my own. Actually, the more I think about it, it was to explore things alone completely without my partner At the time, what I usually recommend for these sort of impulses and these sort of secret desires that kind of come out and they can be as random and as weird as mine were, or they can just be very specific. But what I would say is follow those impulses for me within those relationships, um, the, Wondering if I happened to be bisexual because I was attracted to an actress at the time, as well as other actors. That to me was an indication that I spent way too much time with this guy. And this guy was just hogging up my time. He was hogging up my space a little too much. So I felt like that was my mind's way of indicating that I need some time alone. And it was the same with the other relationship in my mid-20s when um basically I just had this desire just to be alone and explore things alone. Again, it was just because this guy was just overtly cloying. I mean, I would look away, and meant something. I would just think for a moment and then he's suddenly, every two seconds, he's asking me as to what I'm thinking. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? What are you thinking? And um, not only was he extremely involved in my life, but a little too extremely involved in my time. And again, it just indicated that I needed that time away or better yet in the relationship, I needed some space, some serious space. Especially when you're with somebody who keeps asking, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? What are you thinking? I mean, it's uh, you definitely need some space in that situation. What I usually say for the 12th house in this regard is really just allow yourself to have that. Like for me, I really should have just listened to that impulse and should have just allowed myself to have that space. But I would just say, communicate with your partner as to what you do truly need what you're like coming up with and just have your partner, just ask your partner to please respect that. You know, for me, it was, I need some time alone and to ask both partners to respect that, you know, even though they might've been a little bit pouty about it and they might've been a little bit moody about it to just respect that. I just need that time. I just need that space to just kind of recharge my battery and come back anew. But for everybody else who has, um, a planet in the 12th house. Every planet's different. So every secret desire is different. But again, I would just say, you know, ask your partner for that time, that space to see that situation in full or see what's coming up in full. Now, when it comes down to Townley, Townley kind of gives a little bit of um, a dampener when it comes to our end, so to speak, with the, the houses, but he does raise a, a good, a, um, a great good couple of points. So for planets concerning sinistry, and um, especially the sun, moon, Venus, even Mars, the 12th house is really not a great placement for a lot of planets. And uh, from what he has described, you know, so basically like with the sun and the moon, there's a lot of not walking on other people's sensitive spots and having loads of sensitivity in the relationship. Um, It just sounds like this is kind of the rough patch or, you know, the 12th house. If If there's someone in the relationship that has a planet or if there is someone in the relationship that has planets transiting outside, someone else's 12th house, it's just going to indicate the, the rough spots in the relationship, the rough times. And for some of those rough spots, if if somebody has that planet in the 12th house, especially it's, there's a lot of sensitive trigger buttons, you know, it could be that that person may have their moon in that 12th house and their moon is not really well expressed That person has a hard time expressing emotions. So the first thing that they express is rage or anger or resentment or upset that you might have hit a particular nerve or that you might have hit a particular vein in the relationship with the sun. It's just, there are lots of sensitive spots. There are lots of sensitive areas. I kind of liken it to 50 Shades of Gray with Christian Gray, where, You know, when it came to Anastasia wanting to really explore his body and kind of explore him a little bit more, the 12th house to me in his chart really indicated that, you know, again, he just couldn't, he really couldn't divulge what happened in his past because that was an absolute sensitive spot. And every time Anastasia asked about it, it was a sensitive spot and he couldn't bear it. The other thing that was very 12th house to me was when she would like kind of stroke his back and found a bunch of scars on his back. And that also elicited a lot of bad memories and a lot of sensitive areas that came from his past as well to a lot of sensitive points that came from his past as well. And that really put a different spin on the relationship as well too. you know, kind of, It made the relationship a little bit more complex than usual. But kind of like with Anastasia and Fifty Shades of Grey, if you are in a relationship where either somebody predominantly has a lot of 12th house planets, or they just, you know, you just happen to have a house that transists, where somebody might have a 12th house planet. If you're willing to learn from your mistakes if you're willing to spot and strengthen your weak points in your personality, if you're willing to bring out issues that otherwise might be neglective or neglected within the relationship and become introspective, according to Townley, you will have definitely a PhD when it comes to not only understanding, but also in service and in giving in the relationship. I also find it benefits the other person who has the plants in the twelfth house in the regard that you're forcing them to confront what they normally don't confront in the everyday and resolve it for the sake of the relationship. Now, on the other hand, if you're you know prone to c- condemnation, rage, blame, so kind of like what Anastasia goes through within Fifty Shades of Grey with uh you know with Christian Grey. You know, there are times where Christian Grey's past just gets to be so dark, so complicated that she just doesn't know how to make heads or tails of it. Not to mention his way of expressing sensuality, sexuality. He just, uh you know, it just she just really does, has a very hard time with it. There are times where. I mean, she could be very sensitive, as we just mentioned. There are other times where, you know, you can just kind of see her where she might condemn. She might rage. She might blame and defer responsibility of the fact that her life is kind of tumbled over because of this whole other realm of Christian grace. And um, John Townley warns, though, if you are prone to just continuing to condemn, rage, blame, and defer responsibility – This is not a good sign of the relationship's health. The relationship's becoming very unhealthy Um, if you are also dealing with just, you know, a lot of emotions just being like a lot of hard emotions just being blurted out and, and just out, you know, just kind of raging through. That's also a sign of, that this relationship is becoming unhealthy. And as I, like I said, again, with Fifty Shades of Grey, if Anastasia were to just continue to rage and continue to blame, if, instead of just saying, oh, my, you know, I'm kind of conflicted by Christian Grey and instead might have said, oh, my God, why, why is Christian Grey turning my world upside down? I can't stand him. What, What, what is up with him? That The latter would obviously be the destruction or the demise of the relationship. And for that, Townley mentions that it might be better to ask if this is a relationship worth pursuing because of the tough points. If it's just too deep and too tough for you, you might want to do away with the relationship and go on to another relationship that might be a little bit more centered around the other houses of the astrological wheel. And that might be centered around, you know, being a little more positive and open with each other. I'd say probably switch if this is, if the 12th house relationship gets to be intense, you know, look for a relationship where you either, there are planets primarily in the first house or in the 10th house, where you guys can be very out in the open about things. Because everything about the 12th house, again, as we would mentioned earlier, is about secrets. It's very secretive and it's dealing with, very much like the eighth house, it's dealing like with a lot of depth and some of that depth is also psychological depth between both partners. And sometimes again, it can be, it can get a little, little heavy as well too, for individual partners to be able to take and make a relationship out of it. So with that also said too, John Townley also mentions, this is also a, House where it deals mainly with a lot of pain first, then comes the pleasure. This is very unlike a lot of the other houses where it's just the reverse. But again, if you're willing to get through the pain of it all, you get to, through to the pleasure. We see that also with Fifty Shades of Grey with Anastasia. She goes through a lot, a lot, a lot of pain before we move on to the other two books where she's finding Revelations, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give a spoiler alert here because I I don't like spoiling things, but uh, you know we kind of see her progress through the, in the relationship through the next two novels as well too. So with that said, stargazers, I'd like to kind of flip the script a little bit, you know, with that downer downtrodden note from Townley. You know, even though there are very clear salient points when it comes to the Twelfth House. It's like, wow, what a way to end uh, the zodiacal wheel. Thank you, thank you, John Townley. So to lighten it up just a little bit, I thought I would go ahead and analyze a sample chart. I'm going to do something a little bit different with this. Um, while sinistry astrology can also measure relationships, it can also indicate friendships as well, too. But I think really the relationship that both Garcelle Beauvais and Sutton Strack have in The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills can be very interesting to explore. And there is definitely, with Sutton Strack, there is a 12th house connection going on. So I'll just go ahead and dive right in. So Within this chart of Garcelle Beauvais and Sutton Strack, um, definitely there are some issues. There are definitely some points um, within the sinistry astrology where their friendship could definitely work. There are other points where not so much, um, not really so much, just because both individuals have, like, say, their Pluto pit placements are really closely associated with each other. So a lot of issues with power, with control. Kind of come uh, that really would be coming up within the relationship. you know having harsh words or having words that are really very erratic would also come about in the relationship. but to since not everybody is very familiar with the real housewives of Beverly Hills, I'll go ahead and introduce each person astrologically. So Garcia Bove she is a Sagittarius with the moon in Taurus. What that indicates indicates to me is that unlike many Sagittarians, she, uh, instead of going for the next adventure or going for the next great philosophical view on life, she's far more grounded when it comes to her life in general and far more grounded within family. Uh, so definitely, like I said, very different Sagittarius. Also very, you know, especially with Venus being right next door or right, um, not next door, sorry, being in, being conjunct her, so Venus is conjunct her son's position, definitely very great with funds and generating funds, but the Taurian moon would be great in how to fiscally be very responsible when it comes to those funds, and particularly when it comes to laying down the groundwork for her friends, for her family, and for those who she really cherishes uh, closely, near and dear to her heart. Sutton Strack, on the other hand, also very interesting. Her son is within Virgo. Uh, It is conjunct Pluto, which definitely indicates a very powerful image, a very powerful presence, but can also indicate a controlling personality if it's not really well evolved. It can also tra- it can also be a very transformative personality in finding what is not working within her own self, digging that up, and really transforming that to where things in life can work a little bit better for her. Her moon is actually in Gemini, another Mercury oriented sort of sign, and what I usually see is the talkativeness of Gemini really over the you know the the P's and Q's and the mannerly abundance of Virgo and what I see a lot of is you know with Sutton she kind of states something. Um, on the show, only to really regret it when it comes to her Virgo sensibilities. And I see her kind of, you know, reverberate between speaking and saying what's on her mind and saying the truth, and then again, trying to either cover it with her Virgo sensibilities or just really regretting it or still continually regretting it. What I just recommend to someone who is like Sutton Strack, instead of going through a continual spiral of, saying something that you can't help but say, then regretting it later on and overanalyzing it later on. Keep a pad of paper and a pen next to your bed. If there's something that you'd like to that there's a burning question that you'd like to say to somebody or there's something that's just burning that you'd like to say to somebody, write it down first. Write it down, analyze it, see it on an actual piece of paper and analyze your question, see if it's the right time, see if it's the right place, see if it's the right situation for it, and investigate it a little further before you say it. You know, it's just, it's an extra exercise of really, since Gemini really sometimes does not always have a filter, and whatever is thought can be just said, you know, it's, it's definitely that um, zo- that sign of communication. Uh, Virgo, uh, of course, it's just the complete opposite. You know, I just, I would just say again, it's really good exercise of maybe just thinking about what you say before you say it, before you come out and say it. But what was kind of interesting about this chart in general is, so while Sutton's a very talkative Virgo and, uh, Garcelle is a very supportive, uh, Sagittarian, Sutton's 12th house is actually, so it's uh, Venus conjunct Jupiter. So the conjunction is very nice um, in the regard that there's a lot of abundance that can come about when it comes to these two pairings, particularly financial abundance as well as social abundance. However, being in that 12th house again, Venus, so that social planet and planet of relationships, again, not really well-developed. And really not very, I mean, with Sutton, I could see where it's, she knows how to love internally, but when it comes to externalizing her love and sharing that with her friends and sharing that with close loved ones, it's really very hard for her. And the same with the expansiveness and the abundance and the luck that comes from uh, Jupiter in that relationship as well, too. Uh, I would say that expansiveness she can be very expansive within but without, you know, that that expansive mindset is a little tricky to get to and it's hard to bring it out into the open. I also find that with her social situations, like her social gathering skills, sometimes it just seems like she gets words minced um rather heavily and it's 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 kind of like she's trying to communicate through a fog. And it just doesn't come. It just doesn't land well, particularly with this last season of the Beverly Hills Housewives with what she was saying about Erica. It was just very nebulous as to her assertions, where she got it from, why she was taking the stand that she was taking. And just all of a sudden, you know, why she was just turning her back on Erica, another cat, one of her other castmates after they had such a very close friendship. But within regards to the relationship with Garcelle Beauvais, this is hitting outside of Garcelle's eighth and ninth houses, so houses of transformation and of travel, where also Garcelle's Mercury conjunct Neptune placement comes about. So I mentioned earlier um, when reading this chart that there's a lot of idealism going on within this friendship. Um, sometimes I feel like the two individuals live within the ideals that they don't really live within a real like who they really are. They don't really accept each other for who they really are in the friendship and that they would need to step back and relook at the ideals, relook at each other and really see if they could accept each other for the realities of who each person happens to be and the differences thereof. Especially with Mercury being outside of this Venus conjunct Jupiter um, position, normally with Mercury, that's a good position again uh, for communication. And especially with Garcelle Beauvais, her communication seems to be again nebulous, very general, very idealized. Her ideas in life are also very idealized. It seems like that uh, Sutton um, supports that. And it seems like with Garcelle, she seems to support Sutton verbally when it comes down to the underdeveloped Venus and the underdeveloped uh, Jupiter aspects. And what I see with Garcelle verbally, what she tries to do is pull a lot of what is missing or what Sutton is kind of holding back. She kind of pulls that out of her in this friendship. So in the case of, you know, Venus and really like trying to relate to people realistically and on a very humane level garcelle tries to pull garcelle sees that she doesn't really have that in space just yet and she tries to pull that out of her as much as possible and that friendship also pulls that out of her so in a way this can be very beneficial also that ninth house kind of being in that 12th house again it's again um encouraging St- sutton to also come out of her shell a little bit more She's stuck within a shell with these two planets in there and kind of come out of that shell, kind of come out of that fog of secrecy a little bit more. With that eighth house, um, having this transform Sutton's track to where she's kind of a different person. However, again, um, I really think that Sutton could really benefit from really writing out her points, really writing out her questions, really like writing out um a lot of things when it comes to friends and when it comes to relations before she speaks them, because again, I just find that, uh, you know, along with her moon's position, I find that that Venus position in the 12th house is just, again, the connections with people not really well formed and it could use, you know, like I said, again, it could use a little bit of refinement in forming it. Garcelle, on the other hand, her 12th house is free of planets. It actually um, is overlapping Sutton's third house. What I just see here is, again, propensity towards being a little secretive when it comes to communications and just being really well open with each other. You know, whereas Sutton is really more prone to communicating, that's where Garcelle is probably prone to holding back especially since this is within Aquarius, I would just say use Aquarian bluntness to be a little more open when it comes to communication and really making sure those, way, those lines of communication are open in the friendship. All right, stargazers. So what have we learned when it comes to the 12th house? What can make those relationships tick? Even though John Townley painted a very, very grim picture of the 12th house. Well, what I have learned, or what we have learned, I mentioned that relationships take work. Just in looking at the 12th house in whole and looking at what Townley had mentioned, you know, I think the 12th house just reminds us that, you know, even though relationships are really great things to have, whether they're like with Garcelle Beauvais and Sutton Strack, they happen to be a friendship, or um, they happen to be a... Absolute relationship where um, romance is involved, it all takes work. It all takes a lot of hard work and a lot of investment. Um, if you're willing to put it in, the relationship is wor- working for you and it's worth for you. If not, you might want to retake a look at that. You might want to find someone who can help you with that, or you might want to take a look at that inside yourself and see what is holding you back. What might be holding you back might be what's located in your twelfth house. As well, too, whether or not you have a plan in there. Remember, you can always investigate the sign that rules that house as well. I also think that working with secrets can be revealing both inside and out, and it can really help the relationship, particularly if you're pulling these secrets out, kind of like with Garcelle and with Sutton, with Garcelle pulling a lot of uh, Sutton's ability to just withhold Uh, communicating and withholding her social relationships and holding it so close to her chest, you know, pulling that out of her to where she's a, she's far more outgoing to where she's far more outspoken to where she kind of speaks her mind a little more readily. Um, I think that can be very revealing. And I think um, uh, Sutton's relationship with Garcelle has been very revealing in this last season of the Beverly Hills housewives on Bravo. That can be caught on Bravo, by the way. But I also just think in general with working with any sort of secrets, um, whether it was my example of my secrets that kind of came out in my two relationships or whether it's just in general, I think it's definitely a great way to just kind of make it more revealing and deepen the relationship further by just really seeing if you can express that and seeing if that can, if that can be expressed and seeing if it's if it's something where that you can work with, actually I think anything can be worked with when it comes to a relationship. Well, stargazers, I really hope that this episode on the 12th house was just as revealing as it to you, as it was to me. I am very sorry for having stumbled uh, all over my episode this evening. I was, uh, kind of, I've kind of noticed that even though I went through my notes a lot, it seems like I, I favor a lot of the vocal pauses, but, uh, that's something I can always work on as well, too. But above all, do not be afraid to take a look up at the stars. Um, we have Jupiter, Saturn, Venus, Mars. Uh, yeah, yeah, we have a lot of planets that are actually near the Earth right now. We have quite, kind of a celestial body. And not to mention the full moon was on the 18th as well, too. Um, by the way, happy spring. I know that the vernal equinox is tomorrow, first day of spring. So happy spring, and happy showers as well as flowers. I I tend to love this time of the year. So it's it's very it's a very fun, very exciting time of this year. But above all, don't be afraid to look up at the stars to take a look at our origins within astrology. You know, just just to kind of give get a good idea of sense of who we are on the planet. You know sometimes it just it it just is a nice reminder you when know, we look up at the sky when we look up at the stars. But above all stargazers between now and next week, be well and until then well i will I will catch you then. If you have any further questions or comments for Sandra myzik, you can contact her at either myzik m i s e k dot sandra at gmail dot com. Or at her Instagram at her Instagram page at at also spelled M I S E K.